So our look at this guns project from 538, Seven Conversations in Seven Days, continues. And joining us now is uh, Carl Bialik, who contributed to this piece. Carl, welcome back to What's the Point? Thanks for having me, Jody. So your main investigation, you wrote a few pieces for this project, but your main piece has to do with homicides, which we know account for about a third of overall gun deaths. But within that group, what kinds of homicides were you reporting on? I was reporting on the kind that really represent the bulk in this country, which is young men, and particularly in cities, and often these are young black men, who are both the victims and the perpetrators of a large chunk of the homicides in this country. And we already heard in this series from Ben Castleman, who also looked at this, he talked about a program in New Orleans to try and stop gun violence. Uh, So tell us about the specific project that you were looking at. Sure. So this is called Project Exile. And I had the idea to look at this project because I asked the NRA, what would you support to reduce gun deaths? And they mentioned this project. They said, this is something we supported from the beginning. I mean, that's kind of surprising in and of itself. So this is a gun reduction program that the NRA actually supports. Yeah. And they've not just supported it uh, in terms of getting behind it vocally, but they funded it and have campaigned for it and and urged uh, cities and officials to get behind it. And this goes back 20 years, but they continue to bring it up to this day. And what is it? So its name gives you a clue. The idea is to find the people supposedly who pose the biggest threat of gun violence and to exile them. That's why it's called exile. It's supposed to uh, take them into federal court instead of state court where the likelihood of of successful prosecution is higher, where the penalty is higher, more years in prison, no parole. And the exile component is if they are convicted, they'll be sent away supposedly farther from home. So To not, like a prison that's farther from home. Exactly. So their family won't be able to visit them. They won't know other prisoners. So not only will, will they be not free for longer, but their experience in prison will be worse. So this isn't really a guns program. This is a criminal justice program. Yeah, but specifically targeting federal firearm offenses. So the idea is if you have a gun illegally, perhaps because you're not allowed because of prior convictions, or if you use it in the conviction of a crime, often the selling of drugs, you are eligible for federal prosecution. In practice, if there isn't an exile program in place, you're probably going to be prosecuted locally and deal with state laws and jurors from the city you live in. If it's taken federal, your penalty and likelihood of incarceration is often higher. So we'll talk about some of the, the data that either that shows whether this program is working, but what is the rationale of physically moving you away? The idea is that we can narrowly identify the people who are most likely to be involved in shootings, whether as the victim or the perpetrator. And if we can prosecute them and get them out of their communities, we can make those communities safer. This does jive with Ben's reporting, which was about a project in New Orleans, which really was predicated on this notion that it's very small networks that are responsible for the vast majority of gun crimes. Yeah. And there is a lot of common sense behind that and some evidence. And I think what's really interesting about this one is Even though it's a small network, realistically, just in terms of how difficult it is to federally prosecute someone, let alone to catch them in the act of carrying an illegal firearm, this program had the additional rationale of let's scare people with this idea of exile. Let's advertise on buses and on TV ads. Let's convince people not to carry guns in the first place. So deterrence was a really big part of this. And there were a lot of targeted messages to try to get that. And we should have clarified, where is this being implemented? 
So this program has had an interesting history, and it's really risen and more recently declined. It started out in Richmond, Virginia, and this was very much backed by the NRA, but also by the Brady campaign, which usually is not on the same side Mm -hmm. as the NRA. And it was instituted at a time when Richmond had a very large number of homicides for its population. And the year after it was implemented, homicides fell dramatically. And this was seized upon by the media, by many politicians, as evidence of here's a program that really works. And cities across the country, the first of them, Rochester, New York, adopted this program, often giving it different names. And then when George W. Bush was elected, he took the program national under the name Project Safe Neighborhoods. And so it really peaked in the early 2000s and then gradually fell off for a variety of reasons, including uh, 9-11 changing the focus of the administration. And just whenever you have something new in in policing, it often kind of loses its effect over time and you need to try something else. So as a reporter who's looking into the efficacy of a project like this, where do you start in, try, in terms of trying to get data and metrics and, and look at its success? Yeah, it's a real challenge. I, I started by looking at that early history of it, where it really was being cited as this incredibly successful project. And everyone pointed to the Richmond homicide numbers, often just from the first year, 18 months of the program. So I looked at those numbers, and they were really rough and also weren't accounting for the fact that many other cities that had had an increasing number of homicides then had to decrease. We call this sometimes a regression to the mean. This is a more serious topic where lives are at stake, but you do often have these fluky high numbers mm-hmm. that can fall for a variety of reasons. So then I uh, looked at the academic studies, and they were pretty mixed, and it, it really mattered which year you were looking at and how you accounted for other variables. The bigger picture here is it's really hard to answer a question of a specific policing strategy's efficacy because you can't really control for everything else that's happening in the world. And typically we have homicide numbers, but really we're interested in gum homicide numbers and shootings, and the numbers aren't always broken down that way. Ideally, you'd look at lots of cities, but most people are just looking in one city for one year, and that's a lot to pin uh, you know, a national program on. And of course, there are all sorts of ripple effects from to communities wh- when you remove a bunch of young men from a particular community. So can you capture any of that in the data? Or is that more anecdotal or just kind of you have to rely on on the ground reports and, and the way that people are saying their community has been affected by a harsh program like this? Yeah, I mean, you you can get some data. So the Rochester program kept careful track of every successful federal prosecution and sent the information along. And it's just hundreds of people, almost all of them young men, uh, who were sent away for years, some of them even 20, 25 years for gun crimes combined often with drug crimes. And certainly for those people and for their families, this was devastating. And I talked to one man who is serving a 25-year sentence and his mother who's still devastated. And this is about uh, 15 years after he was he was convicted. There are also people within communities who cite a positive effect, who say that some of the people who were sent away were, you know, dangerous elements to the community, were, were increasing gun violence and the drug trade. So it's, it's, it's a very complicated issue, and you see 
people who are not usually allies agreeing and people who are not usually disagreeing differing on this program. So what's the future of this? I mean, this isn't, we should point out, this isn't just something that happened a decade ago. This is part of Donald Trump's platform. And so this is an active conversation going on right now about whether this is going to spread as a program, right? Yeah. So Trump has this as one of the few specific things that he proposes, and especially when it comes to gun crime. And Many of the people who are involved in this program now have very powerful positions within the government, including Jim Comey, the FBI director, who was involved with the Richmond program. Some of the potential Democratic vice presidential candidates were involved in implementing this and touted this as a success when they were officials in Virginia. So I think we're going to see this debate on exile accelerate, and I hope that people really take a much more detailed look than they did often in the early years by just focusing on Richmond in one year. You mentioned the Brady campaign was in favor of this and, and at one time. But like what is the argument – where do groups like that and groups that are in favor of gun control uh, but think more holistically about kind of the impact on communities and, and so forth? Where, where do they find sympathy for, for a harsh program like this? I think some groups take a pretty hardline stance on guns. So anything that really comes down hard on people who are carrying guns that they're not legally supposed to – they see as a net positive in terms of removing guns and gun carriers from neighborhoods. Uh, I think some of them would maybe have a lot of sympathy for the theory behind it, but still question some of the implementation, which some defense lawyer said was racist. I mean, the vast majority of defendants were young black men. And often the jurors were white because these were federal courts. So sometimes people are sympathetic with the idea of this, but can still have issues with, let's say, how it was implemented in Richmond or Rochester. But it does seem like in just having a lot of these conversations about this project that because the conversation about guns themselves and regulation of guns themselves is such a non-starter, that this this fits into that uh, kind of all these varied attempts to nibble around the edges of that to some extent and talk about the, the people who own guns or the effects of gun violence and so forth, which are obviously all very important as well. Yeah. I mean, I think some of this could be political expediency. Like here is a program where the NRA and politicians who are usually against new gun laws can say these aren't new gun laws. These are enforcing the gun laws on the books. Yeah. That's a very popular kind of mantra. So if you are on the other side of the issue normally, you can say, well, this really is about enforcing gun laws. It's not just paying lip service to it. So at least we can make some gains in this way. And then – is the NRA using this as cover in any way? I mean, do they get a chance to then point and say, no, we are in favor of this one program and then oppose every other program? Yeah, I mean, I think it's great cover potentially for them or for anyone who is against other new gun laws, especially because it really hasn't been implemented nationally for the last decade or so, and it's fallen off in a lot of cities. But because we don't have a really great study that covers them all in a rigorous way, they can just say, look, we knew it worked in Richmond. Why haven't we implemented this nationally? And this has come up repeatedly. Like there's a lot of pressure on President Clinton to back this program because it was a way to show, hey, we're the ones pushing for tougher gun enforcement and not the Democrats who normally are associated with that. All right, Carl Bialik, thanks for joining us. And I should also mention that you wrote a couple other pieces for this project as well, but we're trying to keep these conversations short. So we'll just uh, encourage people to go read them. But uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot, Jimmy.